Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following program includes the opinions of Conk News and does not reflect the views of its sponsors. From the pages of Conk News at Conk.News and from the headquarters of Conk News at Broadway and Central in Northeast Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Jim Peters, the Editor-in-Chief of Conk News, and we're in the dark from Monday, November 14, 2022. I get a great sense of satisfaction when I time that perfectly. <laughs> Hello everybody, how you doing? It's Monday. I hope you had a good weekend. I had a busy weekend. A lot of stuff going on here. I was actually in the office seven days this week. I'm a dedicated man. We got a big show today. There's a lot of stuff going on, and I know Dana Lash will say that at every show, but it's really true. We do have a lot of stuff going on. First of all, part one, we're going to uh, analyze the election yet again, because a few things have come out in retrospect that I think you should know about and that we should talk about. Part two, we're going to be interviewing an author named Mark Berline, and he's written a book that's kind of very dear to my heart if you've ever listened to the show before. The book is called, well, it's actually two of them. Uh, This is a sequel. The the latest one's called The The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, and the original one was called The Dumbest Generation. And Mr. Bernline's suggestion is that Generation Z are, are they're, they're stupid little pricks, and that's that. I've been saying this for years now. You know, my wife will tell you that I'm just a curmudgeonly old man, and that every unit, every generation bitches about the univer- the generation that's coming up after them. But here's the problem: I have empirical evidence. I have the test scores, and Mr. Bernline does too. That's the problem. Test scores in America in high school have been going down consistently for the last 30 years to the point where our high school kids don't know shit. They don't know anything. And now, you know, they're, they're so enamored by uh, changing their gender that they're, they're not the least bit interested in learning anything of any substance. And you wonder why China's going to take this place over, huh? Yeah, that's the reason. So he's today, and then part three, we got the paranormal news, got a couple things there, and I got part four, two, which I'm adding on to this, Uh, we're adding on to our show a little bit too, I want to talk about the climate change thing, I talk about it a lot, but the thing is, you know, the the, um, president's over wherever the hell he is at COP27 or whatever the hell they're doing, and you know, and of course, you know, they're saying that that the world's going to end in nine years, I'm actually not kidding, they actually are saying that that the world's going to end in nine years. It's the same thing they've been saying for the last 50 years. It's all bullshit, and I've told you climate change, or at least the the part that they're talking about, is all complete bullshit. And about, what was it, 
six, eight weeks ago, 1,200 scientists, including two Nobel, Nobel laureates, signed a letter saying that climate change is bullshit. Did you read about that in the New York Times? No, you didn't. You know why? They didn't mention it. Because it goes against their narrative. Holy shit. Do you even figure out how this is working? <laughs> oh, my God. So we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. Thursday, Mark Tapscott from the um, Epoch Times is going to be back on the show. We will continue our discussion about, uh, I, I mean, I'm going into the assumption it appears 99% certain that the Republicans are going to win the House, uh, even though that that count is not done yet. And we're going to talk about that in a second, too. Why not? Why isn't the count done yet, you doom coughs? It's like a freaking episode of Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So he's coming on Thursday. And on Wednesday, um, Hank Reardon is going to have on his show Dr. Murray Sabrin, a news contributor, economist. You know, he, he comes on here regularly. First time on Hank's show, though. He was on the weekend, last weekend's show, the election special he was on. And as soon as we were done, both Mark and Tim Conaway, his, his uh, engineer sidekick, they both said, well, we had so many more questions for him. I said, here, here you go. You talk to this guy. So I arranged for it because that's what I do. Finally, I do want to mention, if you go to the Conk News website, you'll see that we have ads running now on some pages, not yet on the front page. But the thing is, we're doing the advertising thing differently than most other websites. Most, I don't understand why this is happening. Okay, so the thing is, you know, this, you know, we do podcasts, right? You know, and I'd like to thank our hosts, Spreaker, our podcast hosts. They insert the ads in the places where we take the commercial breaks. They do that. We have a, high, a stable of high quality advertisers. Many people, I've been several times, people who listen to these podcasts mentioned to me the one thing, the first thing they say is, you know, you guys got a lot of high quality advertisers on your program. For example, Honda, Geico, you know, a, a lot of big names. And we do. And, we, and we're very thankful for that. Speaker arranges for that. Why no one's been able to crack this in the display advertising medium on the web, I have no idea. But all the, you know, you go, most advertising, display advertising on the web is shit. It's basically, it's clickbait. It's all, you know, it's like somebody died and they didn't. I mean, I don't have to, you know, it's like use this and your penis will grow bigger. It's it's all crap. And we don't want to deal with it. We just don't. So we are running advertising. When we're advertising, we're advertising for some of our marketing and, and, um, and sales partners, some of our affiliates, and we're also marketing our own stuff. So you'll see ads for stuff in the store. You'll see ads for podcasts, all that sort of stuff. We're advertising that stuff. So that's what we're doing. It's it's not, you know, advertising can't be unobtrusive because the idea is that if it's unobtrusive, it doesn't work. So the thing is, I hope it's, it's at least not relevant because we don't want that shit. So anyway, so let's talk about the election last Tuesday. What happened? First of all, this happened. Nationwide, in all races, Republicans got 6 million more votes than Democrats did. And so you're, everyone's saying, well, the, the red wave didn't happen. Well, I guess we won. I mean, it, we, it, you know, we're going into the assumption we won the House. I think there's a good possibility we're still going to win the Senate, although it'll probably only be by one seat if we do. So, you know, people are saying, well, why, maybe we shouldn't be disappointed. Uh uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But there's bigger implications here. Douglas Murray wrote a great piece on uh, the New York Post, which is on Kong News this last weekend. 
And he said, and the, the headline of it, I think I want to put this in the Conk blog, too. The headline was, Red Trickle has an upside. GOP can get better, but Democrats won't. And he's right about this because here's the deal. To my, to our, uh, my amazement, I mean, I was joking, laughing about this because I thought this was ridiculous. I admit it. I mean, I was totally off base here. You know, the president gets up and says all mega Republicans are evil. He insults half the country. Then they start pounding on abortion. Uh, you know that the, you know all these ads were run. It wasn't just local. There was a whole bunch of local ads run nationwide that said you don't want to uh, uh, elect Republicans because they're against abortion. And I'm sitting here thinking, and you know, Hank and I were talking. We're joking about this. Nobody cares about abortion anymore. Now, I mean, that was relatively speaking. I know some people care about it, but I thought it isn't anywhere near like it was like 50 years ago when Roe versus Wade first passed. There's also there's another thing too. It's the inherent lie what they were pushing, and that is they were telling you that that the Supreme Court took your right abortion rights away, and it didn't. That's not what happened here. They threw it back to the states. And basically, abortion right now is pretty much the same place it was a year ago, well before any of this stuff happened. But amazingly, all this stuff they were talking about actually ended up working. I was astonished by this. On election night, Fox News, Fox News, mind you, this is Fox News, ran up their election exit poll. They asked people what was the most important things they were voting about. Well, economy was first, but you know what was second and third? Abortion and "quote unquote" threats to democracy. The, the, there's no threat to democracy. The, the abortion didn't change, and yet they sold they sold their constituents on the fact that if you vote for Republicans, they're going to take your abortion rights away and they're going to mess up your life because they're evil. That's what that's what they ended up doing, and it worked. That's the incredible thing. It worked, and I will offer you a conclusion here. And that is the reason it worked is because a lot of Democratic voters are really stupid. That's uh, uh, okay. Maybe not stupid, but at least ill-informed. But they will tell you they're the smart ones. You know, I mean, they're they're convinced they're the intellectuals. And actually, I've realized this is all completely, utterly wrong. It's the conservatives that are intellectuals. These people can think their way out of a paper bag, but they think they can. That's the thing. So they buy this crap. The Democratic committee feeds them crap, and they bought it. I just, I mean, I never believe it. Here's another example. So Lee Zeldin lost in in New York State, and that's kind of unfortunate because even though he lost, he he flipped like they flipped like nine seats in New York State from Democrat to Republican, and most people are crediting him with that. But here's the actual reason he lost. It turns out that in the outer boroughs of New York City, I mean, you know, forget Manhattan. You know, Manhattan's 92% Democrat. I mean, that's that's going to always go this way. But between the, in the outer boroughs, 90% of all black people voted for Hochul, for Hochul, excuse me. And wh- Why? Why would you do that? I mean, she's a complete and utter failure. I mean, this is the, I mean, I just find this amazing. This is the other thing that came out of this too. And that is, well, apparently the the Republicans did it too. So I can't bitch either way, but everyone pretty much voted for their tribe. And it didn't matter whether these people were competent or not. And so you got a bunch of Democrats in New York City and they voted for Hochul even though this – I mean they basically voted against their own self-interest. Crime in New York City is absolutely rampant and it's largely on her because of 
the laws of New York State. So what do you what do you say to this? I mean, are people are people are people, are people really this stupid? Are they just not informed? Or what's the thing? And of course, you know, there's Fetterman, which you know I've gone on and on about. And I had the strange feeling he was going to win. And that brings us to another thing too. I'm going down my list here. So Katie Hobbs and Carrie Lake, that race is still not called in Maricopa County in Arizona. There's still 30% of the votes. As I'm sitting here, this is Saturday night. I'm taping this. Uh, there's 30% of the votes still out, still not counted, 30%. And Lake says she's a, she's positive she's going to win because she, the same thing happened during the uh, runoff or the primary last time. She was trailing until the very, very end. It, it, and it has to do with how they, how they collect the votes in Arizona and with the order in which they count them. She apparently knows this. But the thing is, and you know, I've, I'm not the only person who's thought this. Carrie Lake is the current Secretary of State of the state of Arizona, and it's the job of her office to run elections. And she wouldn't recuse herself. And I just found this out this morning. Not only did the Republicans ask her to recuse herself, the Democrats did too. Both parties asked her to step aside for the election results, and she refused. So, you know, if you've been following this, she barely campaigned. She wouldn't uh, debate Carrie Lake, although I can understand why. I mean, there's been few there's few politicians who have come up in the last 50 years who are as good, uh, good communicators as um, Carrie Lake. I mean, she's in the same realm as uh, Reagan and Obama. She's up there. I think she might end up being the first female president. I don't know. We'll see. But it turned out both parties asked Hobbs to recuse herself, and she wouldn't. And then you take out, like I said, so she didn't campaign, and then you think, well, this all looks very suspicious. Maybe she didn't campaign because she knew she didn't have to, huh? I mean, I've said this. I said this on the last weekend show, and I'm going to reiterate this. I know Mr. Conaway, he will take issue, umbrage with me on this, but I use both the words that in, in that uh, vote, vote uh, counting in Maricopa County was both corrupt and broken. He just said, no, it's not corrupt, but it's definitely broken. Now, I have to give Tim some credit here. You know, when that Cyber Ninja report came out last year about the 2020 election in Maricopa County, he read, he read the whole thing, all 380 pages of it. I'm sure it was enough to put, you know, the first 50 pages would have put most people to sleep. So he's just a champion for doing this. He is. And he said the same. He said, yeah, they're completely fucked up. Uh, in terms of what's what's going on there, but he didn't think it was actually corrupt. He didn't think it was dishonest. I'm starting to wonder. I and I just think this whole thing. I mean, why wouldn't Hobbs recuse herself? You know, why wouldn't she? What what does she have to gain by actually? You know, it's actually less time on her her hands. Although apparently she's famous for not coming to work. The Lake campaign says in the last six months she's only come into the office sixteen days. I don't know if that's true or not. That's what they say, but apparently she has a reputation for doing this. So anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Mark Kelly was declared the winner this morning of the Arizona Senate race, and that didn't surprise me because, you know, you know, you can talk all you want. Mark Kelly is a very popular man. He's very well-liked in Arizona, and actually for good reason. He's a very likable guy. That doesn't mean I agree with his policies. I wouldn't personally vote for him, but it doesn't surprise me at all that he won. He has a lot of... Uh, however you want to put it, personal equity in that state. People do like him. So I kind of assumed that was going to happen.
But getting back to this thing about the Democrats being stupid, now here's an interesting thing. Scott Adams has brought this up, and he's a very astute, he's become a very astute pundit, he really has, about the fact that TikTok helped the Democrats win the election, elections because of the number of women on TikTok, TikTok and the fact that they, they pitched abortion to that crowd. That the Democratic Party did a very good job pitching abortion on TikTok, and there's a lot of women in the United States on TikTok, and of course, China controls TikTok. So you're wondering, like, who's on the take? You know, I don't know. The president's family, you know, is the president on the take? Uh, this fascinates me. We, we had, for years and years and years, all we heard about Donald Trump is that, oh, my God, he's corrupt, he's evil, he's evil, he's evil. They could never find a single thing on him. The, even even afterwards, I mean, this barely made the news, but the New York State Attorney General's office dropped their suit, income, or their income tax suit against Donald Trump because there was no evidence. They couldn't find any. This guy's squeaky clean. I think he knows with his personality he has to be squeaky clean. We'll get into the stuff that he was talking about uh, in a second uh, this week, which was not necessarily nice or kind. And he lost some supporters maybe. But that said, I mean, in terms of honesty, this guy's been squeaky clean. Biden, you know, who Jimmy Kimmel says calls a nice old man, well, that nice old man is probably corrupt as hell. There's... Uh, there's enormous amounts of evidence to indicate that that at least his family members, if not him personally, were on the take to China and Hungary and other places. There's enormous amounts of evidence. I mean, I, you know, he said when somebody at that press conference asked him, What's, what do you think is going to happen with the investigations on your your son? I think he says something like it's almost like a comedy. He said, you go ahead, try it. You know, well, the thing is, yeah, it's not going to be very funny when they're done. It isn't. They can't impeach the president. They don't have the votes. There's, an, I mean, it'll be just like with Trump. The Democrats will all vote against it. I agree with uh, Representative McCarthy that um, they shouldn't try. I don't, it's not worth the trouble. You're just wasting time. But Hunter, I'm 99% certain that Hunter will probably end up in jail. You know, of course, his father will probably pardon him, too. It's like, you know, who knows? But, I mean, there's this is all very nefarious. And I just find this astonishing because this is a life lesson I've learned after being alive for 67 years. People are almost almost always the exact opposite of what they seem. You know, you, if someone looks really, really earnestly honest, they probably aren't. And then you got people who kind of look kind of burnt around the edges who at the end of the day will do the right thing. You know, I mean, I, I will use this as an example. You know, the character Don Draper on, on Mad Men, a very complex character. There's a lot of people who said, oh, my God, he's just, he's evil. No, it, it, in almost every instance, when it push came to shove, he ended up doing the right thing. You know, even like supporting the women in the office and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but he looks shady. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he looks really shady. Same with Trump. Trump looks really shady. He's talking about grabbing women on the genitals and all that sort of stuff. They got that on tape. Oh, yeah. He looks shady as hell. But at the end of the day, did he do anything wrong? No, he didn't. You know, old Joe riding the train, sniffing little girl's hair, you know. Oh, he's harmless. He's just an old old guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's very harmless. He's, he's on the take to China, you know. So finally, let's end the segment with this. Speaking of China, Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht, who run Truth the Vote, which was the um, 
they were the people behind Dinesh D'Souza's 2,000 Mules documentary. They actually did the investigative work to ostensibly uh, uh, prove that there was cheating in the 2020 election. They were thrown in jail last week for not related, not telling the court their source for the fact that they have evidence. They say they have irrefutable evidence that the entirety of the Pennsylvania state voting rolls are on a server in China and that they were actually given to China. China didn't grab them. They were actually given to China. So they would not reveal their source. They got thrown in jail for contempt of court. They're out now, but they were in jail for a while. And this is what we've come to in this country. We have a whole bunch. You know, this is the problem. This has happened in the last maybe 10, 15 years. Our federal government is now innately corrupt. We have a whole bunch of people on the take to China. And the hilarious thing about that is that that the economy of China is they basically have a fake economy. Now Hank knows way more about this than I do, and the, no offense to Hank, Mary Sabrin, the economist, knows way more about it than Hank does, and all three of us agree on this. They essentially have a fake economy. They're, because nothing at the Communist Party can be tied down to any real facts, they can manipulate the figures any way they want. Now, I know they can, they have income coming in. I mean, they have, they have 1.6 billion people there. And I have no idea. And i got to ask Ms. Dr. Sabrin about this sometime, what the actual income taxes in China are like. But they have a huge flow of money, no doubt about that. they got a shitload of people. So that would be about – they have about five times more people than we do. So they obviously have a lot of money. But that said, the economy itself, the economy is whatever they say it is. That's the thing. Now, at some point, I assume, just like any other communist or socialist country, it will collapse. I'm, I, <laughs> I, I reveled in this this week. We'll end with this about the fact that this cryptocurrency exchange, FTX, basically completely collapsed over the last few days. Uh, they had $15 billion of people's money there, and it's all gone. And the guy who was running that, like a 26-year-old kid was running this company. He was the CEO. He started it. He was a huge donor to the Democratic Party. I saw an article, and I don't, I have no idea if this is true. I didn't bother to, to follow up on this. But there's an article on Colin News about the fact that said that that whole company was set up as a Ponzi scheme basically to funnel money to the Democratic Party. I don't know if that's true or not. But it was definitely a Ponzi scheme. But the thing is, I've been sitting here, and I've been telling my friends, anybody listening, for 15 years that that Bitcoin was a joke, that it's basically tulips in 1600 um, Amsterdam, and uh, I keep, you know, and you know, I keep waiting for. I've been waiting for this thing to crash and waiting and waiting because I think there's nothing there, and well, it finally is. It took a long time. And that's the other thing. Does that make me right? I don't know. If you had gotten in 10 years ago and gotten out five years ago, you would have made a shitload of money. That is, so I don't know. That money's still real. That's still in your bank account somewhere in your in your investment funds or whatever. You would still have that money. The people behind you, they're all going to lose their shirt. But you would still have it. So if something lasts that long, is that a, is that a bubble? I don't know. I just don't. I, I, you know, I don't pretend to know these things. I just question. That's all I do. Folks, when we come back, we're going to be talking with Mark Berline, the author of the book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, and he knows what he's talking about. Stay tuned, please. (laughs) 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Part two of In the Dark with Jim Peters. That's me. And on the line from Alexandria, Virginia, is Mark Barline. He's the author of, well, actually two books. He's the author of The Dumbest Generation and The Dumbest Generation Grows Up. That second one, the sequel, is the newest one. Hi, Mark. How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. I'm glad to join you. Yeah, so uh, I'm really intrigued by the subject, and let me tell you why. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk here for a second. I mean, usually I like to let you talk, but i, I got to set this up. So I'm. We're, we do this show from Minneapolis. I moved. I'm 67 years old. I've moved all over the world. I've lived everywhere. Amazingly, I'm back here. That surprises the hell out of me. But I went. I graduated from school, high school, in a small town in Minnesota in 1974, 48 years ago. Now, this is what I know. In that 48 years, 50 years, the cost per student of educating students in the state of Minnesota adjusted for inflation has gone up 500%, and yet for 30 years at least, the test scores have been going consistently down. So I tell tell my wife, I'm bitching and moaning about all all the young kids, and she says, well, you're just an old curmudgeon that wants kids to get off off your lawn. She said, all generations do this and i'm saying yeah but i have the receipts <laughs> they, they can't test where shit <laughs> so, well you're, yeah go ahead Tim, you're, you're absolutely right about the evidence it is very clear the data are, are saying this not us but what i would also add is i'm an old fogey criticizing the young well darn right i am i mean that's part of my job <laughs> one of the, <laughs> i mean one of the duties of an elder is Tell the juniors, hey, straighten up, smarten up. Don't be such a dope. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is what helps them to grow up. And it's okay for the young to resent that and to 
can talk back as long as they're doing it intelligently. And if they, if they come back with some statement about, well, look, you know, a lot of things are happening in the world and you're not aware of them. Okay, fine, fine. That's the critical engagement between the generations. But if there isn't some tension between the old and the young, we don't have a healthy society. And one of the points that I've made in, in both books is that the older generations, starting in the 60s, failed their duty to be stern elders. Yes, they, I, I couldn't they agree with you more. Out. Yeah. They checked out on their responsibility because they don't want to sound <laughs> like an old fuddy-duddy. You know, they came of age in the 60s when it was great to be young, anyone over 30. And so they don't want to start sounding like the, the, the fathers and the officials back then who were part of the establishment man. And uh, we, we don't, we don't want to become the, the very thing that we rebelled against when, when we were young. Well, that's fine. You are actually not doing a good thing for yeah. the young when you fail to give them a critical perspective on themselves. You think you're helping them? No, you're indulging them. And what you're indulging is adolescence, which is making it harder for them to grow up. And boy, do we see the numbers on the amount of immaturity in 30-year-olds in America today. Yeah, so do you think that one of the big problems here is re- is basically the extension of childhood? It's like people don't want to let it go, do they? Or when you get these young people. It's like, you know, I mean, uh, John Fetterman is a perfect I, example. Basically lived in his parents' basement until he was 50 years old. I mean, you know, what the hell is going and, on? And, you, you know, and, and there seems to be very little embarrassment over this fact anymore. Uh, but yeah, the, the, you know, the, the 40 year old guy who loves superhero movies, my goodness. And this is, this is for 15 year olds. or, you know, the, the, the old guy who loves thick rock from the seventies because he listened to it and it was 17 and he really loved it. This is just a way of rehearsing, rehearsing your, your youth all too often. Uh, look at the way sports heroes act yeah. today. They score a touchdown. And, and they celebrate like fifth graders, you know, bouncing them down. I mean, can you imagine Jim Brown no. dancing in the end zone? No, Mark, I never thought of that before. That's hilarious. Well, I mean, I mean, how about oh, you're, yeah. you're in Minnesota? Can you imagine Alan sacking a guy and then getting up and thumping his chest? No, 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 I can't. I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I lived in Wisconsin as a kid, a little kid. During the, the 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 Lombardi era, and I actually loved the Minnesota Vikings from from that. You know, I remember the Purple People People Eaters very well. I love those guys. Yeah, they were fierce. But, That's I true. Ray well, Nitschke. I mean, can, can you know Carl Eller? These these guys behave like men. They didn't act like 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 sixteen year olds when when they're thirty six. But this is what we're showing the young. And it is. It's an extension of adolescence. And they've got all the Internet tools now to amplify it and to get reinforcement. 
Yeah, being silly. But is that actually part of the problem? I mean, you actually mentioned music. I have a background uh, for many years. I was a professional classical musician, but I do understand I've done a lot of work in pop. And my problem with pop, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're just bitching about pop music. No, pop music now is unbelievably un- unoriginal because so many people sample so much old stuff. I mean, there's entire songs built on top of other songs, you know? I know. And- I know. And how much of it is 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 digitalized? Well, that's when, a, they, when they create these little pops. Right. That's exactly what I'm why I'm bringing this up is because it's so easy to do. And you know, in your book, you kind of, you're constantly talking about the fact that all these these young people feel these microaggressions and they feel so aggrieved. And like, where does that is that from? Bad parenting? Where does that come from? Well, that's. That's a complicated question. The whole the whole fragility condition of of the young. I, I mean, one of the things is there's so much fear out there. I mean, look look at the pandemic. What was the message to to little kids who were not in any danger at all? Right, one in a million. That's the what, I, that's what, the what, irony is the little kids were in the least danger of anybody. And and I think to mask them up. To, to, or or to put police tape around parks as they did, you know, in, in, in my area to tell kids, stay in your room, don't leave. You're going to do schooling on the computer. You should not go see your friends. You should not go outside and play. Stay in that room on the screen. My goodness. It is, is it, this, is, this is telling the world is a very, very dangerous place. And you've got to be very, very careful. My goodness, this is this is going to produce this kind of safety paranoia, uh, and you know, I mean, I mean, I would hear parents say, "Oh, my 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 six year old has to have a cell phone for safety reasons." And I said, "My goodness, you know, Andrew, how did we ever make it to adulthood <laughs> in, in such a dangerous world?" Really, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I didn't have a cell phone. I don't know about you. They didn't exist. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't exist. And I, I think a lot is this security blanket. You know that we extend well into well into their twenties. Well, 20s. well let, Mark, let me run this by you. I have a, a one of my cohorts here at Con News, Hank Reardon. He's brought up this theory, and I think he's absolutely correct. He thinks that all these kids that were locked in their rooms during the lockdown give them ten or fifteen years to get into reasonable adulthood. He thinks they're just going to be mad as hell. They're basically they're going to realize what the adults did to them, did to them is a tragedy. Well, the, 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 the one of the theses of the of the new book is that millennials were so confident and ambitious and innovative and optimistic when they were 18 years old uh, 15 years ago when I did the first Dumbest Generation book. Now, the, the, the survey data on millennials, now that they're 33, 34 years old, they are bitter, disappointed. They, they believe they've got a raw deal in the economy. They have high levels of mistrust. They don't trust their fellow citizens. They actually have a fairly vindictive approach toward others. If they ever feel like someone's done something wrong, uh, even if it's not personal, they will sign that petition to get someone fired uh, who, who lives 2,000 miles away because he, he, made, he made a sexist joke on Facebook. You know, they, they, they're, they are the ones who are big on cancel culture, and that is an expression of vengefulness. 
there. Yes. And I think that that's an expression of, you know, we had, I had it all when I was 15. I had a big Facebook friend list. I had my room with, with the tablet and the video game console and, and I had the computer and I, and I had the iPod. I had my music. I had my game. I could shut the door and make this wonderful utopian universe in my own bedroom. And if someone said something on Facebook that I didn't like, I just unfriend that person. If someone sent me text messages that said, you know, I'm not sure I like Barack Obama very much, I could just block that person. So that they, they, they could manufacture their own self-centered reality through the tools when they were teenagers. And, you know, now that you're at age 33, it doesn't work anymore. Facebook, you know, the thrill is gone. Uh, I don't I don't get all excited when I get an email anymore when the ding goes off. <laughs> and and but, but what but what else do they have? We didn't give them great music, great movies and, and books and TV shows. We didn't give them a country that they could be proud of. We didn't give them a God. We didn't give them church. We didn't give them any transcendent orientation for their lives. Uh, we, we gave them nothing. Well, they live without foundations. And a lot of the bitterness now is an expression of precisely what your, your colleagues predicted. What yeah. happened? The thing is they don't, they don't have anywhere else to go except politics right? or, you know, climate change or, or some other false God. Well, you, you spent a good deal of this book talking about, uh, your feeling about one of the major problems is their abandonment of literature. I mean, uh, which I suppose is like one of many things, but and maybe it's because you're, it's your strong suit. I don't know, but uh, I mean, can you expound on that? You know, when you read novels, you gotta get into key characters' heads. You're 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 looking at characters do things and say things, and you have to imagine motivations. You and, and that can be for bad guys as well as the good guys. And sometimes it's, it's very mystifying. I mean, I'm not talking about classic novels all the time. Detective stories. Who, who did it? Wait, yeah. I've got a series of possibilities and I've got to figure things out. Well, this is a mode of discernment that is very good psychology. It helps you practice how to deal with people. Because when you... When you leave college and you go into the workplace, you're leaving all your friends and you're going to be working with people who are much different from you. They're different ages. They have different backgrounds and interests. And you got to try to figure them out. If you haven't read a lot of literature, you don't have that practice in getting into someone else's head, imagining, okay, where's this person coming from? I'm, 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 I'm getting some signals here, but I, I, I'm not quite sure because I spent all my time relating to my friends and they understand me and I understand them. And it just produces an, a, a social incapacity. The reading of literature would, would, would help them. It would help them. But of course, one of the reasons I wrote the first book is because the reading of literature has gone way down among adolescents they have turned their they're not they're not reading through the hardy boys like like i did when when i was when i was a teen right uh they're online they're doing video games and this is not 
going to help produce a certain social capacity among among the young, and they don't know how to relate to older people. They never have. Do you think that there, that the millennials findings racism, sexism, sexism, and transphobia where it doesn't exist is that some nest need for them to justify their own self righteousness? I, I think that's a big part of it. They look; they want to find meaning in the world, as all of us do. They want they want their lives and the world to be significant. Now, did again. We didn't give them a religious significance. Most of them don't go to church. And if they do believe in God, it's just such a watery, spiritual thing that it doesn't amount to a certain potent sense of themselves and their place in a world that, that cares about them in some transcendent way. They don't have that. So where are they going to find the meaning of things? They need a cause. They need a commitment that is bigger than themselves. All human beings need to have this. Well, they found it. Racism. It is a political correctness is a deeply moral outlook. It gives young people good guys and bad guys. It gives them the innocent victims and the guilty villain. And this is like a moral drama that they can enter and they can take the right side and they can commit. They almost can feel I'm sacrificing myself to make a better world. I want to eliminate racism. This is, this is what they've been given by, uh, by, by liberal America. And this is why Jordan Peterson said, you, you know, you really take, got to take it easy on these grand schemes and go clean your room. Yeah. You know, get your own, which is to say, get your own life. Well, you brought up, you, you bring up the fact that you, you think that the reason that they're so attracted to this is because they think they're the first generation in history that actually cares, it's like, which I find hilarious, but I don't know. Yeah. Jim, Jim, that finally, after millennia, they got it right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, humanity has just, failed time and again to produce justice on earth and now they're the ones as 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 barack obama put it in in his campaign slogan we are the ones that we have been waiting for yeah, yeah. oh boy the young they, they just love that they love that you know, the boomers the boomers might might claim we 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 did the civil rights act we were the anti-war movement we were women's liberation and then gay liberation well you know what the funny thing is Millennials look at boomers and say, who do you guys think you are? You, you didn't do so great. We're, we're so much better yeah. than you are when it comes to tolerance and, and civility and caring. Actually, here's the funny thing. The survey data now shows millennials rate far lower on tolerance than older generations do. Well, that doesn't they surprise me. They have no tolerance. They, they live in a Manichaean world where you're either with us or you're against us. And if you're against us, we need to cancel you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the last chapter of your book, you talk about the 1619 Project. So do you think that that whole thing was designed to manipulate young people? 
I mean, it's, it kind of it fits the narrative you're just talking about, about the fact, you know, you got the good and evil and the fact that it's going right. on forever. And it's, you know, it's like no one's ever stopped it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just thinking, it, that, yeah, go ahead. I mean, you, you could give the 1619 designers some, some credit for recognizing something that so many others didn't. You've got to give people a meaningful path, even if it's a negative meaningful past you've got to position them in relation to history now that that what what it does is it it gives them a meaningful past in that the past was very bad and you can realize it and make the present better that that's the positive implication that that 1619 would would pass along my interpretation of where it goes wrong is no this isn't going to work because what you've done is you have told black youth, this country hates you. It has, it has done horrible things to your ancestors. And you know, a lot of this country still does hate you. What a horrible message for a 15 year old black youth. Yeah. Now it's... a white youth, you, you're guilty. Well, yeah, I mean, we're privileged. You, you, you bear this guilt. You bear the sins of the fathers. What are you going to do to repent? This is this is well. What a again. What a horrible outlook to hand a fifteen-year-old. This is this is again the wrong way to go. And it's not going to produce a better, happier society. It's going to spread resentment and bitterness. That's what it's already done. This is what this is what has happened in our country. Life. I mean, this country is so much more bitter. A sour mood among everyone for, for, I, I think it's, I think, you know, you look back at the nineties almost as boy, you know, Americans didn't hate one another so much back then. Oh, it's true. I mean, golly. So I, I see that, uh, we, 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 we have sunk. Our society has sunk. This country has sunk so far. just in terms of the, the general atmosphere, you know, the, the, the national mood is, very bad. And I think it's been bad for a few decades now. I almost wouldn't say it's a Republican or Democrat thing. It, it, it just, it, it's hard to find uh, so, a happy place. Mark, let, let's, let's talk about the, the most recent election last week. So this, these statistics just came out this morning. 27% of young people under the age of 25 voted. 48% of them said their primary source of news is social media. Now, my big joke here, you know, if you're as old as me, you remember 50 years ago when something was printed in a newspaper, people took it seriously simply because it took so much work to put out newspapers. I mean, it was un- it's amazing. They did it every day. I mean, it's unbelievable. You had to fr- even freaking melt lead and shit, you know. But yeah. but now you're talking about a medium where anybody can post anything, and yet that's people's primary source of news. And here's my question: Do you so uh, me being paranoid as I am? Do you think the the left is so set on controlling social media for this very reason that they know they can control the young people? Oh, I, I think that they they see you no know, social media as, as a great ally in the in the propaganda machine and they do they have they have silicon valley on on their side google and and facebook mark zuckerberg's money in 2020 had a big impact yeah on on the election 
And so, uh, hold yeah, it. and and one and, sec, hold it, one second. You actually mentioned in your book that the people, and I know this for a fact too. You didn't have to tell me this. The people in Silicon Valley actually designing this stuff won't let their kids use it. <laughs> that's that's a, right. Yeah, that's right. Because look, they know that you know that, that those youth who, who get most of their knowledge from social media, and they know that the kids who who play the video games. What is what is the outcome of that? Well, we, we produce uh, a generation of of of, of dolts, dimwits, dumbbells, and dunderheads. This is this is what they are. They don't know anything. They are the dumbest generation, and they have all the confidence in the world in in themselves in their in their knowledge. Ignorance and confidence often go together, but they are willing to. Uh, they're willing to this country go down the drain they don't realize look do you know what's happened in the last few years do you know what the national debt is do you know the deficit do you know you're going to be paying for my social security and yeah. your social security just may not be there right. no they don't because they, they don't have they didn't get a good education they they don't know much about political principles or economic principles, but they do know that the founders, a lot of the founders had slaves and that's good enough for them. You know, they do know that, uh, 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 women weren't allowed to vote for a long time. And, and, and that we, we, we really need to have more, more penitence, uh, over these things. But most we do of, know what we did to the native Americans Mark, mo- on and on. Most of this stuff that they're talking about that you're just mentioned just now is all so far in the past. That's the thing. It's like, you know, they're not talking about changing the future of the present, or they are. They're also concerning changing the past. You can't change the past. I mean, it's done. Uh, they will talk. I mean, just recently, I, I've heard Emmett Till's name yeah, come up. I, I have too. Right. And do you know that that was, that was nearly 70 years yes, ago. Yes, that's right. It was. I and, know. And you're talking about it as if, oh, it's all still going on. Right. Well, look, uh, a lot of people make a lot of money off of this. I mean, the founders of Black Lives Matter became millionaires. Yeah. I mean, they live, they live like, like, like queens. Right. Uh, they got a ton of money given, given to them. So it's an industry. It's a hustle. And it works. I mean, I, I've got to give credit to the Black Lives Matter people. They were amazing entrepreneurs. I mean, they were they were really good capitalists. Well, some, somebody pointed somebody pointed out that as a marketing tool, just naming your organization Black Lives Matter is brilliant because if you argue with that, you're a racist. That's right. <laughs> you know, That's so right. No, no, it, was, it was very good. Good branding. Good yeah, branding. no one's going to argue with it. Right. That's right. They, they, they ought to teach that in in business school. Yeah, they should. No, you're absolutely so correct. They absolutely should. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, hey, it's been fantastic talking with you. I really, I hope you'll, do, you'll come on again. I mean, this is a this is a uh, big big sort of thing in my craw about the you know. I I basically agree with you. I think if these people don't make a turnaround, these people being the millennials, if they can't figure out a turnaround somewhere, we might we might be fucking doomed. I mean, it's just, we're done. Yeah. I, well, look, Jim, I'm 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 pessimistic. I think I think America is steadily going down empires rise and they fall nations come and go and it's our turn to uh to think 
Yeah. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think we're coming back. I, I think, and, I think it's going to get worse and, and worse. And, and that, you know, we've got a population bomb happening. We've got, we've got a deficit debt problem that is, that is going to come due at some, at some point. And the culture is just more idiotic, coarse and vulgar. I go to hotel rooms and I'll start scrolling through the TV channels. I don't have TV. And so this is kind of new to me. And I think I'm living in the middle of a circus. So, uh, this is, this is where we are. Yeah. Unfortunately, I share your pessimism. I don't want to. Um, you know, I'm, and I want to fight the good fight while I'm around. I'm not, you know, it's like I'm an older American, so I'm not going to be around much longer, but I hate to say it. I think, you know, if I had to put Betty nods on it, I'd say you were right. So that's sad, but true. Well, I'm I'm happy to come back and talk anytime, Jim. Hey, thank you, Mark. Really. It's been a real pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. You have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Mark Barreline. I'm sorry, Barreline, excuse me. He's the author of The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, and you should buy that book. We're going to put it up in the Conk blog or uh, in the Conk podcast for In the Dark. It'll be up there. Yeah, it's great conversation, my God. Folks, we're going to take a break here. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Part two of In the Dark with Jim Peters. That's me. We'd like to thank Mark Berline for joining us for the second segment for the B Block. Those of you who follow the show know that this block, the C Block, is normally devoted to paranormal news. Paranormal news is whatever I decide it is. <laughs> but we have some. As a matter of fact, I have more than enough to talk about today, which is actually unusual because there's usually not a lot of actually news in this. But I got a couple things. I'm actually blowing off a couple of stuff. I'm gonna put put a couple, put a couple of stuff off for Thursday. Uh, first, I, first thing I got here, and this was an article in HotAir.com by Jazz Shaw, one of their regular contributors. And the the headline reads: This was off Kong News, of course. The headline reads: The Civil War Inside the Government Over UFOs. Now, if you've listened to this program before, you know I've talked about this. The problem, what's going on in the government internally, and there's a lot of people that are talking, reporting about this, not just Jazz Shaw. Actually, I shouldn't say that. The mainstream media ignores this shit completely. That's the problem. The, main, the mainstream media ignores everything. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of, kind of coming to the conclusion. You know, people say, well, they're all messed up now, and they have been for the last seven, eight years since Trump. I'm starting to think they've been messed up for 50 years. You know, all that stuff about Walter Cronkite and all those gods being holier than thou? I'm starting to think they were full of shit. We haven't gotten any real good information about what happened 50 years ago, let alone now. We're still not getting it. I've told you this. I'm going to tell you again. 
People said, well, Jim, how did you know about the UFOs are real? I knew because of government documents. I've seen them. And they're public. That's the thing. Any good reporter could spend a half a day working on this and come up with a fantastic article about the fact that UFOs are real. The government documents were public. There was a, a, a study done in the 1953 of the U.S. Air Force. Uh, Nathan Twining, a general in the Air Force, ordered a study of UFOs, and they came to two conclusions. One, they're real flying machines. They're not mirages. They're not swamp grass and sort of stuff. They're real flying machines and are flying in our, in our airspace. And two, they didn't know who was running them. Now, you fast forward 50, oh, 70 years, 70 years to... 2021, and the U.S. Congress gets a report from the Department of Defense, and what does it say? It's two things. It says the UFOs are real flying machines. They're flying around our space. They're not swamp gas. They're not mirages. They're not any of that crap. And two, we don't know who's running them. Same conclusion. Same conclusion in 70 years. Nothing's changed. You know, it's like, you know, we've been laughing about this here. You know, Hank and I and Tim Conaway and Don Zora and all the people, we've been laughing about the fact that they they couldn't launch this rocket to the moon. And other than computing power, which is actually huge, that's a huge uh, exception here. So it does have to be mentioned. Other than computing problem power, we're still using the same technology we were 50, for 50 years ago for almost everything. Jets still fly the same. Cars still run the same. The rockets are one or they're launching the moon. It's basically a more efficient version of a Saturn V rocket. It's not quite as big. Doesn't have to be. It's more efficient. I mean, we we've improved everything, but this, the basic te- technology has not changed. Matter of fact, we're kind of going backwards. Twenty years ago, you could fly uh, a commercially supersonic flight. You could do it to London, London to New York. You could fly supersonic four hours. cuts cuts the travel time and time in half. You can't do that anymore. You can't. That that was stopped. <laughs> so, okay, getting back to this article. This article is about what I've been talking about for a long time. That is, there's a huge internal struggle in the Department of Defense and the Pentagon about how to handle this, the UFO situation. So they know the UFOs are real. No one will say, and Christopher Mellon wrote an article in debrief.org about this about maybe four, six weeks ago. Uh, no one will say the E- the E word, extraterrestrial. No one will mention it, even though it's plainly obvious these things are not from Earth. So, well, if they're not from Earth, where are they from? Well, they're from somewhere else. We're not making them up. They already determined that. These are real machines, you know, and I won't even get into, you know, I've, I've, I'm obsessed with this topic, so I've studied it for 30 years. I won't even, get, even, even get into you to the fact that maybe angels or some, that maybe there's some sort of thing, angel, uh, angels might be real or there's, there might be extraterrestrials that don't have physical bodies, or all, I mean, all that stuff. It's all just wild. It's not. I don't know if it's nonsense, but it's wild, wild speculation. It's way off the the edge of what most people can even comprehend. But flying machines, we got them. <laughs> you can comprehend that. They're made out of metal. They're flying around. You know, this is so. And then you you think about this too. And everyone's always assumes, well, all the ETs are must be twenty thousand years ahead of us. No, some of them are twenty thousand years ahead of us, and some of them are two hundred years ahead of us. And they're basically just humans fucking around like we are with their toys, and they're flying them here because they can. <laughs> they need somewhere to go. You know, the problem that the military has with all this is that I mentioned this before. 
I have to mention it again. The problem is in covering this up for the last 70 years, the military and the Department of Defense and the Pentagon has probably broken a shitload of laws. And there's a whole bunch of people who could go to jail, and they know it. That's the mitigating factor here, the, you know, the, the, what the – what people don't understand. It's not whether a matter they're protecting the public or that they think society will collapse, all that sort of stuff. Those are all issues. But one of the big issues is that there's a whole bunch of people that don't want to go to jail. So there, there's a lot of people in the DOD who don't want any of this ever to come out ever, or at least not while they're alive, you know. So I just found it very interesting that uh, Jazz Shaw wrote this article in the hot air that people like, there's somebody's actually talking about this. That's the one. That's uh, that's the one thing I wanted to mention today in the par- in the paranormal news. The other thing is that a bunch of Italians have said they have discovered a sunk U-boat off the coast of Argentina, and I don't quite understand how they under- how they figured this out. But they think this is the boat that brought Hitler to Argentina, so he escaped from the war. Now. Those of you who know anything about history know that supposedly Hitler didn't escape from the war. He uh, shot himself in his bunker, and his body was burned outside of his bunker, and that was that. Okay, so here's the deal with this. Now, this is actually—I have to—this is unbelievable, but this is actually—this story is actually one of the reasons I took this job here at Kong News. I had a discussion over dinner with a friend of mine about three, four years ago— about this very topic, and we were talking. I don't know how this came up about Hitler killing himself. I said, "Well, you know, there's no actual evidence that Hitler killed himself." He said, well, "What do you mean?" He said, "All the historians, you look at any history book." And I, said, I said, "Yes, yeah, every history book will tell you that, but there's no actual evidence that he did it. There isn't." And he said, "Well, that's bullshit." And he, you know, he's going on and on, you know, about accepted history and all this sort of stuff. And I'm telling you, there's war- way more evidence to suggest that Hitler skipped Germany and got on a U-boat and went to Argentina than he killed himself in the bunker. I'm not kidding. And I, I'm even going to go th- through it now. So, okay, so established history says this: that on April 30th, 1945. With the Allied forces literally only several hundred yards away from the the Reichstag, and that's where the the Führer bunker was, uh, underneath the ground there, that he and Eva Braun, who he married one day before, uh, retired to his private den, and that he shot her, and then he shot himself. Actually, he shot himself through the mouth and simultaneously bit down on a cyanide capsule. That's supposedly what happened. And they heard the shot. Uh, people in the outer rooms heard the shot. They came in. They found him dead. He told them he was going to do this. They were not surprised. He gave them supposedly explicit instructions. You take the body out of the emergency exit of the Führer bunker uh, and, there, and, there, and dig a small trench right outside the door, put the bodies in it, pour gasoline on us, and set us on fire. That's what he said. Okay? And supposedly, that's what they did. All right. Now... The Russians got to the Führer bunker first before the Americans. They said they found the bodies. They found two bodies in a uh, charred, completely burnt up in a, in a shallow trench. That's what they right outside the bunker, uh, exactly the way history says uh, does. They confiscated those bodies. There was basically a race to see uh, which Allied force could find Hitler first. It was they they got there first. There was also another body in a in a small trench outside there that looked a lot like Hitler, that was not particularly badly burned, and pictures 
pictures of that body went all over the world. But the thing is, even the people there said it wasn't Hitler. I got a long story on this, so you got to bear with me. This is going to take a second. All right, that's what Hitler says, or that's what history says, and Hitler too, I guess. That's what history says, okay? Here's the alternative history of this, that that night on April 30th, or afternoon, um, 1945, Hitler changed into civilian clothes, walked out of the bunker, walked a half a mile to... I can't remember the name of the street, but they were using one of the main thoroughfares in Berlin as a landing strip. Got in an airplane, flew to Sweden, then got on a U-boat, took the U-boat to Argentina, where he spent several weeks in a hotel there, and then apparently moved off to a house that was on, I can't remember the name of the lake, and it's all, they're, they're Brazilian names, I can't remember them. It's all Spanish. And where he lived out, to uh, the hist or the alternative history will say he lived there till 1962. That's that's alternative history. Okay, let's look at this. So I told you that the Russians grabbed those two bodies out of that trench, and they did, and they they basically shuffled them around for years. I mean, years. That was 1945. In 2006, they decided to do t- DNA text testing on those bodies. Guess what? It wasn't Hitler. <laughs> For what? For 50, 60 years, they thought they had Hitler's body, and they didn't. Okay? Now, let's look at the people who are actually in the Fuhrer bunker with Hitler. Who are they? Guess what? They're Nazis. (laughs) They were actually not only Nazis, they were Hitler's most trusted friends and confidants and and collaborators. They were the people he trusted the most were in the Fuhrer bunker who were living in there with him. I think there it was probably about twenty or thirty people, including guards and uh, you know radio operators and all that sort of stuff. And they were actually living in that bunker. They didn't leave. Matter of fact, if I'm right, Hitler was down there for forty five days before the end. Uh, you know, six weeks before the, the war ended without leaving, without going up, up, uh, going out. I was going to look this up before I started here, and I forgot. So there's a British soldier. And this guy went on to great fame as a historian, partly because of this. The British, after the war, encharged him with trying to figure out exactly what happened with Hitler and his body and his, his death. So he interviewed everyone in the bunker. He and he he pasted the story together about Hitler, how Hitler shot himself, and they took the bodies up and they burned them. Actually, He's the only source of that story. I just want to point something out. This is very kind of important. He was talking to Nazis. <laughs> they're these are these are Hitler's closest friends. You think they're going to lie? What do you what do you think is going to happen? And say Jesus Christ, of course they're going to lie. You know, Heil Hitler, all that sort of stuff. There's still people, even the ninety, a hundred years old in Germany, still living. Who profess their, their allegiance, to, allegiance to Hitler? They're still they're still around. It's unbelievable. Even the way they handled the Führer bunker. So the Führer bunker has been destroyed. Actually, technically, no. It was filled in. They poured a bunch of sand and concrete in, into it. They filled it in and covered it up. It's now, it's the parking lot of an apartment building. 
is what's there. But they've got the German government has got so many requests from people to know where it was. They've now put up a sign. They have like an information sign there, a little kiosk explaining what happened, explaining where it is on the ground, all that sort of stuff. So uh, they they relented. The reason they covered it up is because, and this happened during, after the war constantly. They were afraid that Nazis were going to raise their ugly heads again. There were still people who, who were basically in allegiance to Hitler, and they wanted to destroy anything about it. But this one guy, this this British historian, if you go on the Wikipedia, you will you'll find uh, you'll find his name. Uh, he it's his story that uh, that 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 history is now accepted as fact. Okay, so now let's look at that from another point of view. All right, you're Hitler, right? You have unlimited resources to, to available to you. There's a plane a half a mile away, pretty much an easy walk. You can, if you could escape, why wouldn't you? Not only that, we know for a fact this is this is established historical fact that dozens of generals of the of the SS and the German army escaped to Argentina. We know that for a fact. They was basically they were running high level German personnel back and forth from from Argentina to Sweden. We know that we know that for a fact. So if you're Hitler, you're the head of this whole thing, why wouldn't you escape? And on top of this, now you have to mention this is a stupid little detail, but it's very important. Hitler came to power, or at least to prominence in Germany, around 1929. I think I got that right. Yeah, yeah, right. Because the war started in 38. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was elected Chancellor of Germany, Germany around 30 or 31, if I'm correct. All right. During his entire public tenure in public life, the entire time, no one had ever seen him without his mustache. You got that? That stupid little Charlie Chaplin mustache he had that everyone's always made fun of. No one had ever seen him without it. So you think about this. You're in that bunker and you're about to leave and you're gonna, you have to walk a half a mile to an airplane and you're wearing civilian clothes. You shave that mustache off in five minutes, no one recognizes you. No one knows who you are. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Nobody recognizes you. It's, a, it's the most brilliant disguise ever because not only did you didn't add something you took something away and then you wonder did hitler always think about that about the fact that if i ever have to pull a fast one here i can get out uh in, in with with a five minute change of uh of uh, you know cosmetics so we so hitler supposedly here's the change uh this is the alternative history uh, him and Ava Brown, they put on the civilian clothes. He shaves off the mustache. He walks a half a mile to an airplane waiting on a street in Berlin. The airplane takes off, goes to Ger- goes to Sweden. He gets on a U-boat, takes a U-boat over to Argentina, and then he spends, spends several weeks staying in a hotel. Now, there's a whole bunch of people that worked at that hotel. Once again, I, I, shouldn't, I was going to research this. I didn't get a chance. I mean, I know about this. I just don't know the names uh, of this hotel in Argentina, where Hitler supposedly stayed, there's a whole bunch of personnel there who say they saw Hitler. And not only, like, for 10 seconds. Like, one woman said, no, no, no. It wasn't just one single sighting. I waited on him for weeks. It's like, these people, they were... They 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 had Hitler in their midst and they knew it. And the thing is, one one or two people you can say, oh, they're you know they're lying. But you got a whole cadre of people who worked at a hotel who said that. Geez, I don't know. You know. Then supposedly he moves to this uh, house 
in the secluded at the end of the secluded lake in Argentina, and Josh Gates from the Travel Channel, which my friends all uh, love to make fun of the Travel Channel. You know, it's basically the Bigfoot Channel, <laughs> or some people call the Nazi Channel too. They went. There. They find people have been trying to get permission to go to this house for years. The house is abandoned now. It's still there, and the owners have not let anyone. Purview the the ground the grounds, but Josh Gates of the Travel Angel he got permission of it, and they went through the grounds very very carefully. And what he he found one German uh, Nazi coin there, which he said, uh, and you know they didn't find anything that even remotely connected to Hitler himself. Although if you know Hitler and know the types of places he liked to uh, uh, stay at, like the Wolf's Lair and all this sort of stuff, it looked like the type of place he would enjoy staying in. It had his kind of kind of architecture and kind of kind of architectural style that he seemed to have favored. But anyway, they thought that the fact they found a Nazi coin there was at least proof enough that Nazis had been there. And I would probably agree with that too, because like I said, even if you don't buy the fact that Hitler went to Argentina, we knew a whole bunch of generals and high-level German army personnel did go to Argentina. So you know, even if he wasn't there, some Nazi was there. You know, but the thing is. My point here, here's my point. You have established history with no evidence. There's no evidence whatsoever. Now I got I have one more thing I got to add to the story because this is really important because this is a personal thing. Uh, a few years ago, I knew a Nazi. I can't tell you how I knew him. I can't tell you who he really was. I'm not going to tell you. He died a few years ago, but I'm not going to tell you all that. I did confirm independently, externally, that he was a Nazi. I did confirm that. I knew this guy. His name was Martin. That was the name he used here in the United States. So he's told me it was not his real name. And I never found out what his real name was. Martin says, now Martin traveled around the country giving speeches as a former Nazi. He was explaining what Nazi life was like and also the evils of it too. Because he, although he was a fervent convert to Hitler at the time, he realized his ways. And also he said he converted to Christianity. He said Jesus talked to him one day and he left it all behind. And he also, he came over to the United States, and he, he had a very a relatively prominent invention, which I'm also not going to talk about because that might give away his identity. But he made a fortune. So he told me, he said, he, his job, he, was, he says he was Hitler's personal valet. Like I said, I have no, I've, I've independently verified that he was a Nazi. I have done that. But other than that, he might be lying about all this sort of stuff. So I'm going to, you know, I'll leave it up to you. He was Hitler's personal valet. He says he was in the Wolf's Lair meeting room when the bomb went off in 1944. That's the the, the big assassination attempt on Hitler's life that uh, they made the movie about with Tom Cruise. Same deal. He said he was in the room. So he said there was two things that he, that he was going to tell me. He told me that the press and historians would never know. One was, according to history, in that blast, Hitler was barely hurt. There were people that were killed in that room, but Hitler. Was, not only was Hitler not, not killed, he wasn't even really injured. That's what history will tell you. My friend Martin told me that's bullshit. He said Hitler's right – I can't remember what arm it was, but one of Hitler's arms was ripped completely off. And the German surgeons actually a, a, a successfully reattached it. Which he said, and it's really true, in 1944, that would have been the most complex operation ever done on a human being. Not only did they reattach his arm, it worked, and his fingers worked. They successfully reattached it. That's what he told me. He said all those pictures of Hitler 
uh, a few hours after the bomb went off, going through the, the rubble and all the stuff, he said those were all doubles. She said that was not Hitler at all. He said Hitler was laid up for weeks. The second thing he told me, speaking of that, uh, Hitler's doubles. Now, it's well known to historians and in the U.S. government that Hitler had at least seven doubles. And they were they were standing in for him constantly at public events all the time. What Martin told me, he said that historians don't know, as he said, not only did these people actually look just like Hitler, he said he even had their dental work done to match Hitler's too. So when Hitler supposedly died in this uh, in this in the bunker and his body was thrown out into this into this pit outside, the one thing that the historians have always had going for them is that they said that the the dental work of this skull matched Hitler's. That's apparently been confirmed. But like my friend told me, he said that doesn't mean anything because that could have been one of the doubles too. He told me that. And then the third thing he told me, he said Hitler didn't die in 1962. Hitler died in 1978. And he said he knew that because he got a postcard from one of his old cadres who was still with Hitler at the time in Argentina. You can take or leave as much of that as you want. But I do get back to I want to get back to the one thing here, and that is regardless of what history says, there's more evidence to indicate that history that Hitler escaped or went to Argentina than that Hitler died in the bunker. There's virtually no evidence that Hitler died in the bunker. The only real evidence, like I said, were those dental records, which could have easily been faked. So at any rate, so these guys, these Italians, they think they found this U-boat that took Hitler to Argentina. I don't know why or how they know it's this particular U-boat. I don't, but it's interesting. We're going to take a break, folks. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. That's our show for today. I'm Jim Peters. This is In the Dark with Jim Peters. We got one more thing here. And this is a part where I don't like to, okay, you know, all right, we release In the Dark on Mondays and Thursdays, and I tape them normally on Sundays and Wednesday afternoons. That was not the case this time. We taped most of the show, not all of it, but most of it on Saturday afternoon. And something happens. So I've redone this last segment. Uh, it, right now it's it's Sunday afternoon. Uh, I had to come into the office anyway. But I'm redoing this because it was just released this morning that Adam Laxalt has lost the Senate race uh, to, uh, what's her name, Cortez. Uh, oh, God, I can't even remember. Um, in Nevada. And he was widely expected to win. I mean, he was as the, the votes were coming in, they just finished the counting. Actually, they didn't finish the counting day. It was projected. Uh, but as the votes were coming in, his lead was widening. And everyone thought, including him, that, well, he said that she really reasonably didn't even have a chance to catch up. And he assumed he was going to win. He didn't. I got to I got to tell you that I I saw this on TV at six o'clock in the morning uh, on Fox News. It was like a kick, kick to the gut because I'm you know they brought this up on on Fox and Friends and I noticed this too and I'm not the only one who's noticed it. And that is in these races, the longer the con the con the count goes on, the more likely it is that the Democrats win. 
Now, Tucker Carlson said his staff figured out that supposedly in the races where it took more than 48 hours after Election Day to count the results, Democrats won 77% of the cases. I'm going to make a correction to a prediction here, and I don't want to do this, but I'm going to. And that is, I now think Carrie Lake is going to lose in Nevada because I think the, the or no, in Arizona, because I think the, the election process in Maricopa County is rigged. I, I, just, I, just, I do. I know my friend Tim Conaway is going to call me a conspiracy theorist. I don't care. I've come to the conclusion, especially because of the way she treated her campaign. She barely campaigned. It's, you know, that's exactly what you do if you knew you were going to win. She acted exactly the way you would act if you knew you were going to win. Uh, and I'm starting to think that, um, you know, Hank and I have talked about this. This happened here many years ago, what, about 10, 12 years ago here in Minnesota. And that is there was a, was for the Senate runoff, ran there's Norm Coleman and Al Franken. And Franken, uh, that, that race ended with 3 million votes cast and Coleman was ahead by 200 votes. Now, of course, we have an automatic recount here in Minnesota if it's half, if the difference is less than half of 1%. So there was a recount. And in the course of that recount, I'm, I'm not exaggerating here, literally they found 500 votes, 500 ballots, no, 5,000. They had found 5,000 ballots in the trunk of somebody's car, L- literally in the trunk of somebody's car in Duluth. In Duluth, Minnesota, you know, it's like the old joke off the off Looney Tunes, you know, and Franken ended up winning. And if you know anything about the history of, of election results, recounts hardly ever change the outcome, hardly ever. Uh, you, you know, they may change the actual vote count, but it hardly ever actually changes the outcome. In this case, it was a 500-vote swing, I think. Uh, based on those 5,000 ballots that just miraculously appeared. And Hank and I have talked about this uh, for a long time. Uh, I think, and he does too, I don't want to, I don't think I'm putting words in his mouth. I don't want to. We've talked about this at length and on these podcasts that I think they use that, uh, the Democratic Party uses it as a test case. They cheated and they wanted to see what would happen if they get caught, if it would work, whatever. And it worked. And that's also the reason, like, Hank says, easy come, easy go. That's one of the reasons they had no problem kicking Franken out of the Senate. I agree politically with Al Franken with almost nothing, but he got a raw deal in the, in the Me Too thing. He did. He got a raw deal. He was a comedian, and he never actually touched that woman's breasts. Or, you know, I mean, yeah, there was a goofy picture of him looking like he was going to, but he didn't. You know, And for that, he got kicked out of the Senate, or he, he resigned anyway. I'm starting to think this is not rampant, but there's a few places, a few isolated counties in the United States where this is happening. Now, I'm going to go to the 1960 election. That's Kennedy and Nixon. It's pretty much established history now that Kennedy won that election by cheating. He cheated in one single county. That was Cook County in Illinois, the county of Chicago that his father paid off a bunch of people to jigger the election results. But that election was so close that changing the results in Cook County changed the electoral count in Illinois, and that changed the, the whole election result, and Kennedy won. And, that, and you know, we've talked about this before the election, uh, about the fact that if—and if, and Conaway, in his own way, is bolstering this. You know, he says, well, it's almost impossible to cheat the system. 
my contention is he's right in Minnesota. In Minnesota, it's almost impossible to cheat the, the election system. Even though I can go back 10, 12 years ago, that wasn't the, – the, if the cheating is going on here, it's by the infusion of new ballots. They're not actually, um, they're not actually changing the vote count. They're, put, they're adding ballots to it. And the problem right now is that there's a few places in the United States since COVID where now ballot harvesting is now illegal – or now legal, excuse me. It's legal. And that's bullshit. That's complete utter bullshit. You want an easy way to cheat? Well, there you go. Now, supposedly, in the movie 2000 Mules, Nesh D'Souza and the people from True the Vote, they proved that, that there was cheating in the 2020 presidential election. You know, that's what they're saying. And the two people running uh, True the Vote, vote, which is, I think their names are Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht, if I'm right, they just got thrown in jail recently, recently being like last week. Because they say they have irrefutable proof that the entirety of the voter rolls of Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania are on a server in China. Not that they were stolen, that the state of Pennsylvania actually put them there. And they say they have that, and the judge asked them to release their source, and they refused, and they ended up in jail. So I hate to say this. But I think, I mean, under normal circumstances, it would appear the way the votes are going and also the way they count votes in the order they count them in Arizona, that Carrie Lake is right. She would win. I don't think she's going to. I think this, the whole thing's rigged, and I think I now think Katie Hodge is going to win. I hate to say that. But that's my story from Minneapolis. Thanks for, thanks for listening, folks. I appreciate it. I really do. We appreciate it here at Kong News. It's the best news anchor on the web, period, for conservative and libertarian news at conk.news. You go to our website, you'll come back every day. Uh, it makes Drudge look like bullshit. and It really does. I'm not kidding. We're very, very proud of it. And all the news we talk about in all these podcasts we do at Kong News, we get off our own website. I mean, you go there, you can spend two hours just reading the front page and nothing else. And we also have videos and podcasts from other people and the whole bit. We got all that stuff and fun and funny, funny uh, news and also the um, the like the Babylon Bee type stuff. And we have editorial cartoons. It's all there for you, and it all changes every three hours. So check it out if you get a chance. I'll be back on Thursday. My guest on Thursday will be Mark Tapscott from. Uh, Epoch Times, we're going to talk more about the upcoming investigation of Hunter Biden. He's covering this for them. Hank and Tim Conaway will be back on Wednesday, and they're uh, talking to Dr. Murray Sabrin, Kong News contributor. Uh, they both said after uh, our big uh, election night show that uh, they, had, they had more questions for Dr. Sabrin, and so they're going to get you a chance to ask him. And uh, we're looking forward to that, too. So uh, thanks for joining us, folks. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you soon. Take care.